All right, good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning, just to share a few thoughts um, from uh, the Mennonite Convention that I was able to be at over the July 4 uh, week. Um, so just uh, Menocon is sort of, for those of you who aren't familiar, that's the new way of talking about convention. So Menocon 23 is what was going down. Uh, it was in Kansas City, which is a, um, which, which the, the, the Mennonite delegate work and youth work has met there a couple times recently. It seems to become the new favorite place, and we always do it over July 4 because it's cheapest. Um, and so uh, that's, that's when we went. Um, there were a group of high schoolers that were interested in going to the youth convention part. And so Sierra Crock, who is the uh, office manager at the Lighthouse, and she helps out with, with the club nights, along with Nate and Liz and myself and Ramona, um, she was willing to go. I was willing to go, or able to go, I should say. And, um, uh, well, I was willing. I just, not everybody was able to go, is what I was trying to say. <laughs> um, but uh, we had four interested high schoolers. That ended up being whittled down to two, and we still felt it was worth going because I just have such fond memories of being at youth convention. Uh, so we went, and I'm really glad we did. It was a, it was a very good week. Um, so uh, Gianna and um, Kaylee uh, joined us, uh, went with Sierra and I, and so it was a great time. We got an Airbnb about 15 minutes from convention, um, which saved us a ton of money, and uh, it was yeah, it was just a nice, uh, nice way of, of walking through the week. Uh, the convention, I'm just going to give you some details. I'm not really going to talk much about the structure of it other than just give you a little blurb at the beginning. But... Um, Basically, it started Monday evening, ended Thursday night, so we spent all day, we drove to Kansas City, so it's 12 hours there on Monday, 12 hours back on Friday. Um, that went about as smooth as it could. Um, and um, the, uh, how the day is structured is they usually have a main stage speaker in the morning and then in the evening, um, and then uh, you have seminars and breakouts scattered throughout the day. Um, and, and for the for the students and adult delegates. So this was this was a youth convention and the adult delegate convention happening at the same time, all shared worship worship spaces, um, which is another new thing they've drifted to <coughs> recently, and it seemed to work really well. Um, uh, and let's see. And then they also have all these agencies around with their booths set up that you can like engage with all the Mennonite universities and mission agencies and that kind of thing. And so that was a lot of fun uh, hanging out uh, with, with those groups and just connecting. The vibe and energy of the convention was really good. Like it was peaceful. There were lots of connections. And there's actually an absence of tension, which has not been the case for Mennonite conventions recently, right? Um, there's been lots of tension, and um, and I really enjoyed the fact that there was there wasn't the tension, um, but but the tension found me in other places. Um, the the theme of the week was be transformed, and um, and it was just it was incredibly timely. Um, the convention planners did a great job in putting together the theme and what they were trying to say to our denomination moving forward. 
So I found it to be incredibly helpful, and we'll dig into that more in a little bit. Um, so um, I really appreciate the planning committee, uh, the, their, their, their work at um, just really like including everybody, uh, rep having representation of everybody from all walks of life like on stage. Um, the, the worship was, I, I, uh, the worship was incredibly diverse and, and was lots of songs in other languages and just that kind of thing. It was just, it was beautiful. It was a great time. Um, pushed me out of my comfort zone, but that's, that's fine, right? So, um, so to, before I start digging into um, sort of my big takeaway from convention, um, just to talk a little bit about some of the seminars that I attended. Um, I attended uh, one on uh, development. Uh, it was one put on by Everance. It was like development with uh, community development, that kind of thing. And then there was one on uh, gangs, like uh, information about gangs, which I was like, oh, it's been a while since I've really engaged that kind of conversation. I'll go check that out. Didn't say in the write-up that it was gangs in Central America, but I still found it to be interesting. You know, it wasn't quite as uh, applicable to anything uh, that Canton is dealing with, but, um, but it was still fascinating to hear stories of people and their lives being changed. So that was really cool. Um, so Be Transformed was the theme. And uh, another seminar that I attended was about women in ministry. And I found this, this was, this was a lot of storytelling. I don't have a lot to share with you from that. But, um, but you know, like, it was fascinating. I was one, I think, of only three men that were in this, the seminar, which I was kind of shocked at, actually. But um, just to hear the women uh, share their stories of what it is like to be in ministry in the Mennonite church, especially, um, and some of the pain that they've experienced um, being a woman. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was interesting when you walked in, they had this sheet of paper up on the wall, and it was like, it was a timeline, and they're like, as soon as anybody walked in, if you've been ordained, get your name up here. We want to make, and, the, and the date, like we want to, we're trying to track that because the one book that they had published was um, in the back they had listed all the ordina ordinations of women who uh, have been ordained in the Mennonite church. Um, and just, and, and, and so then it was talking about the, the work of putting the book together, but then also, you know, some of the stories that came out of the pain, like, um, I just never remember. I think there's this r fairly older uh, woman sitting next to me, uh, and, or right behind me, but to the side. And she goes, you know, I'll just, I just never, fr I'll just, she said, you know, it just really stinks. If you're a woman and you're, uh, you're kind of bossy, like you're called a different word that begins with the same letter as bossy, but it's not bossy. You know, it's like, and, and she said, but, but if, you're a, if you're a guy who does it, well, you're just, you're just someone who takes charge. <laughs> and, and um, like, you know, it was, it was that kind of pain that, that, that women were sharing about what it was like to take the pulpit and take leadership. Uh, it was just really interesting to me. Um, so interesting that um, I, I picked up two books that I'm donating to the library here at the church. Um, whether you like it or not, I guess. Sorry. <laughs> but, um. <laughs> yeah, I'm just being, I'm just taking charge. <laughs> I'm just taking charge. <laughs> Don't complain. <laughs> uh, okay, bad joke. Um, 
But Dorothy Nichol Friesen and Lois Barrett were the two that presented. And um, uh, Dorothy Nichol Friesen had a book called The Pastor Wears a Skirt, which is just stories. And then, um, then they've co-authored a book, Proclaiming the Good News, uh, Mennonite Women's Voices, from uh, 1972 to 2006. Um, and it was edited by both of them. So, um, oh, and I think, I think Anita uh, Huli Now Yoder, um, her, she has a chapter in this book. Um, so, um, anyway, if uh, if anyone's interested in these, uh, they'll be in the, the library soon. I also picked up uh, the Voices Together, which is the new hymnal, uh, the Worship Leaders resource. So, which has stuff that is going to be in the hymnal, that is in the hymnal, but also additional resources. So that's another one for our worship leaders to use. Um, and then, of course, many of you saw the peace table, which I talked about a couple weeks ago um, as the new Bible uh, storytelling book that Mennonite Media has put out. So uh, I found all these at, uh, at, at seminars, but also at the bookstore and at the booths that were all around. And uh, just the resources and connecting with people was just a ton of fun. Okay, now I'm going to dig into some of the other stuff. Uh, so, um, the speakers, like I said, the theme was Be Transformed. Brian Mole, uh, Nelson Okanye, who is the director of uh, EMM, Eastern Mennonite Mission, he sh opened up the first evening talking about what does it mean to be transformed. Brian Mole spoke Tuesday morning, and he is the pastor in, I believe, Cincinnati Mennonite. Um, really good speaker, passionate. Um, and Oh, I'm sorry, here's some pictures of us uh, getting ready for uh, one of the sessions, and then uh, here's a picture of one of the worship sessions, just so you have like a little idea of all the lights and smoke and all that good stuff that goes on <laughs> at these things. Um, but uh, Brian Mole uh, shared Tuesday morning, and um, so he... Uh, was a pretty, um, he's, like I said, he's a really good speaker. He became, he was raised in a very religious uh, family, um, not in the Mennonite church. He uh, was, beca quickly became a leader. He started a church in New York, and at the age of 29, he was leading this growing congregation in New York City that was just, uh, just really tons of people getting saved, coming in the door. The church was just growing and growing and growing. Um, but he realized that he was leading people to faith. He had really a crisis. He, he, was, he had a crisis of his theology, and he realized that he could not, he, he was leading people to faith in something that he wasn't sure he had anymore. And so he started drinking and doing some other ways of like self-medicating because he just couldn't handle it. And finally he realized that the, what he was leading people to, he could no longer buy. And so he said, I had blood on my hands, so I, I had to quit. And so he just walked away from the job um, as the pastor. And then he's wandering around looking for something to hold on to. And he found an Anabaptist seminary. <laughs> and so he said, uh, where he learned right theology. <laughs> and, and he started, <coughs> um, I think, I'm not sure if it was AM, um, Associate Mennonite Biblical Seminary or where it was, but... He, um, he really found a home in the Mennonite, in Mennonite theology and really became fairly cocky about it uh, because he said, in my childlike manner, I started judging all the people who believed the same things I believed yesterday, <laughs> um, but that I no longer did. And 
he talked about the phone calls with relatives and friends where he just had to make sure that they now saw the light like he did. Um, he said it was very immature um, and people dreaded him calling. Um, and it, it, was, it was just an area of real like growth for him. Um, but it, it also entered a time of really a long period of wrestling with some of his demons and, and much healing uh, was needed. He went on to say and to challenge the group with this. And I'll, I'll say this too. Um, the two youth that were with us, they were like, I have never heard a pastor talk about not believing like in my life. Like the idea that they wrestled with their faith. That was really like impactful for them. Like that they were able to hear someone who was able to be brutally honest about doubt. Right? Like that's something that... Um, yeah, it, it, it is, it's part of our growth, in, uh, our faith growth, right, is that we have to wrestle with the doubt. So um, just an important, important piece there. Um, so uh, so he, he, he started with some of these questions, uh, looking at his own story. You know, are you willing to go on a journey of healing no matter what it costs you? Now, often when we talk about faith and service and all that kind of stuff, you know, you talk about giving up your life, whatever. But he was talking more about, like, what the internal cost. Like, you know, and he said, my hope is that you would open the door that leads to healing, even, even if your faith has to crumble first. Um, because that was really what, what had happened with him. Um, and he ended with this, this, this statement, like this challenge, because God is far less interested in you and I having a perfect theology um, and is far more interested in each of us being healed. And I thought that was just really, really good, uh, really helpful. Um, and, uh, yeah, just like, and that's where the tension started building, like, within me, um, is that this, this idea that, you know, like, we all have places that need to be healed in our lives. But a lot of times, the obstacles to our healing is actually our theology, is our image of God blocking the way, or our image of even what others feel about us and our theology, right? So can we walk through the door anyway, even if it means our faith needs to crumble first? Which is very powerful. The, the second progression in, in this tension that I'm talking about was another seminar that I went to. And it was led by Jackie Wise Rhodes. And she is the uh, professor of Hebrew at AMBS, which is the Mennonite seminary, uh, one of the Mennonite seminaries. And she is also the chair of the Bible department. Um, really a lot of fun, a great, great speaker. Um, but she had... Um, a seminar called Supersessionism and Biblical Interpretation. I could not get any of the youth to come with me. <laughs> um, yeah, they just weren't. They just weren't interested. So, um, and I did not fully even understand what supersessionism is, um, but it was really fascinating. And what I'm going to share with you is like basically what I know. Like. It has just opened my eyes to something that I think is really important. She said, has the church, has the way we view Jesus, uh, the way we view the church and the way we view the New Testament, fed a disdain or a disrespect for Jews? 
And I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, well, think of it this way. Do you talk about the fact that the church has replaced Israel? Do we talk about the new covenant replacing the old covenant? She quoted Amy Jo Levine and in her uh, book about this topic. I can't remember the name of it now, but it had something to do with uh, the scandal of the Jewish, of the Jewish Jesus. Um, and she said, you don't have to make Judaism look bad to make Jesus look good. Um, and that just started pricking at me. Um, and then she talked about some of Amy Jill Levine's uh, myth-busting that she did in, that she does in her book. And um, she said, you know, do we talk about the burden of the law? Because for many Jews, they would say the Torah is a joy and a blessing. Do we talk about, when we look at the Old Testament and the law there, do we talk about it being a religion of works? Where... Amy Jo Levine would say that, that Jews would say it, it wasn't about earning your way to salvation. It was about a way of life. It was something beautiful and life-giving. Or do we, have we heard or thought the statements, Judaism is a thoroughly misogynistic uh, practice and, and, and Jesus was a feminist. <laughs> um, you know, and, and like how many heroines do we find listed and talked about in the Old Testament? Um, or this idea that Jesus is just a rebel against the law? Or do we say Jesus stood with many of the prophets who called for justice, who called for uh, standing with the marginalized? This was like, I don't have much more than that, right? Uh, it, it, was, you know, it was just a one-hour seminar, but she was just really throwing it out there that like, some of the ways that we have been energized about Jesus, energized about the call for the church to be, maybe has included looking down on and maybe feeding some ill, uh, like, uh, like disrespect to, um, to Jews. And she said, she said and, and actually it's that kind of thing that feeds some of the... Um, the hate language that goes on. And like, so as the church, we need to be really careful about how we think about and talk about our faith and how that like reflects on others, right? Um, we, we can be excited about the newness of things or about a new way of looking at things, but that does not mean just even following up on what, you know, Brian Mole had said, like, you know, now I started judging people who thought the way I did yesterday. Like, we, we see this new thing, we have this new understanding, but that does not mean we need to, like, judge and put down, um, put down uh, Judaism, right? Um, even though I don't think anyone in this room or myself, like, I don't think we would ever dream of wanting to do that. But when I saw some of those statements that she put up there, I was like, oh my goodness, I never thought that that could actually be part of this. Um, that, that that could contribute to someone um, in maybe, maybe a, a hate crime or something like that. So that was really, that really kind of shook me up. Um, just thinking about what, what, how my faith is communicated, how my faith is processed, how my faith affects others, right? 
Um, the last uh, part that I want to share was the speaker that came, uh, that spoke to us the last night. His name was John Carlson. He's a pastor at a church in Pennsylvania, um, I think in the Harrisburg, Carlisle area, I believe. Um, but uh, before we ju jump into that, I want to share the, the scripture verse again. So you, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do, do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So um, John Carlson gets up to talk, and here I'm going to try my little demo. He, well, he, first, he first opened by saying, you know, it's interesting, but you don't know you're wrong until you know you're wrong. <laughs> and we're like, okay, duh, like, right? But then he said, well, no, no, but like, think about it. He said, um, he talked about an argument that he had with his wife about how many years they had lived at their new place, right? He said, I, we've been here eight years, like, it's going to be hard to move, blah, 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 blah. And um, she was like, no, we've been here nine years. He's like, no, no, we've been here eight years. And she's like, no, I'm pretty sure we've been here nine. And so he, he starts counting from the, the year they moved, and he's like, eh, eh, eh. and it wasn't until he got to year six that all of a sudden it hit him that he was wrong. And he said, that's, that's how we all operate. We don't know we're wrong until we know we're wrong. And every step of the way in our argument or discussion, we think we're right. He said, but, but it's not until we know we're wrong that we know we're wrong and we can deal with it. Um, so he said, we need to come to terms with the fact that we're wrong about a whole bunch of stuff, but we just don't know it yet, right? Um, so he talked about, he had a much larger glass container that he broke, which I am not going to do as part of the demonstration here, but you know, it was, it was very tall. But he said, he said you know, if this, if this would represent all that is known, all that is true in the universe, okay? Um, he said, uh, like I said, it was much bigger. But um, he said, if this would represent all that is known to be true, he said, this would represent what, what you think you know. And he shook a little salt. Oh, no, that was way too much. But anyway, um, and, and he said, he said, oh, and we're Mennonites, so we'll get a little bit more. <laughs> All right, enough of, enough of feeding that. But, um, <clears throat> but, but actually, no, that, that is actually very helpful to talk about it that way. Like, he said, and, and then, but then, but then it, it, so then it represents all that we don't know, all the stuff that we're really potentially wrong about because we don't know it yet. But he said we have to have a framework for, for figuring this out, right? We have to have a framework. All of us have a framework for all that is known and unknown, right? And, and that can be maybe the glass, because that, that holds it all together. It could be some sort of theological way of looking at things, whatever. But he said, you know, it's, we, we hold it together somehow. We've come to peace with something in our minds about what we know and what we don't know. But he said, then something big and global and scary or 
earth shattering comes along and it starts shaking things up and that's when the glass fell on the ground and shattered um, it shatters that framework of how we look at the world and understand it and we feel lost right and we feel like we don't have an anchor we don't have a foundation and so he, he reached down and he grabbed one of the broken pieces of glass and he picked it up. He said, so we grab hold of a little piece of that framework of how we understand the world, the thing that we, we know and we desperately want to be true. And we just grab a hold of it and we hold it so tight. And then we start cutting. That when our, when our, when our world falls apart, we grab a hold of the shards, that little piece of what we thought was new, we start cutting because everyone who doesn't think the same way we do we have to hold on to this or we got nothing so we got to start cutting and we hurt each other and I thought wow that's such a powerful image and daggone it it's so true right but that's what we do when we don't know what to hold on to like we just have this peace and we're not going to let go and you're not going to take it from me so I'll cut you rather than let go of it but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes sunrise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. He makes the sun rise on the good and the evil and the rain fall on the righteous and unrighteous. So be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, this, this, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount was ended, like, had this thing about being perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. It was this call to perfection, right? And he was saying, you know, God blesses uh, with rain, like, and sun, like, those who do evil, those who do good, just the same. He said, if we're to be perfect as God is perfect, maybe we should rethink some of the ways we handle this. So this perfection that we're seeking is not actually separation from the people we think are wrong. He said the perfection is actually right relationship with people we see as currently wrong. That's really good. And that is incredibly hard to think about, right? Is the perfection that God is calling us to to have right relationship with people that we know are wrong? Huh? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'll share it with you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or maybe we should say it this way. This perfection is actually us who think we are right but may be wrong. We just don't know it yet. Being right in right relationship with people who are currently wrong, though they may be right, but if they're wrong, they are good people. They just don't know it yet. Yes. Um, we need to come to terms with the fact that we know we're wrong about that we are wrong about a lot of what we think we know, what we think we are right about. Sorry, I'm getting myself all confused now, um, but we just don't know it yet, right? John um, kind of wrapped up this part. Uh, his talk by saying, you know, he said, I've been a part of the Mennonite church for 20 years and I've caught glimpses of the beauty of what that looks like. 
um, genuine humility of people coming together to seek truth together. Um, he said, but far more often we've done the opposite. We hear something we disagree with, especially if it's something we used to believe but no longer do, and we focus on differences and we cut. I started, I, I went to convention, not sure what to expect, um, but I felt the vibe, I felt the unity, I felt the peace, and dang it, I felt cocky. I was like, this is how convention should be. This is how we should get along with each other. And the tension that the speakers brought during the week was exactly what I needed, is to know that there were peace people missing from convention that should bring tension to my life, that um, people that I, I may disagree with, right? But uh, brought, like, we, we need, we need to be in right relationship with people that we disagree with. Um, and I just thought that was just incredibly helpful. My guess is <clears throat> that there was definitely, you know, this, this planning put into this idea of being transformed. But I don't know if the planners had put this part in place. If they did, they're brilliant. Um, because with a denomination that is going through so much change right now, and kind of finding its new way, the danger in finding your new way is really, you know, you know feeling like your new way is right. And, um, and I think that that was just a really good word for me. I think it was a really good word for everyone. I think it was a good word for the denomination. Really glad I went. It was a blast. Um, and, um, yeah, looking forward to the next one. So thank you.